Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Walk in the Light, we are going through the first epistle of John and challenging one another to focus on Jesus. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. This reckless love of God is described for us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So I came across a story about a lady whose name is Mary. Mary McClorine. Mary has a condition. The condition is developmental, developmental topographical disorientation. DTD for short. What it means is that Mary can't form a mental map or image of her surroundings. Unlike most people, she has no internal compass. In other words, she has the ability to figure out where she is. Let me me share with you a little bit of, of her experience. She writes this regarding her DDT. She says, I was staying at a friend's home and decided to take their dog Otis for a walk. Sounds simple enough, right? Take Otis for a walk. She says, as I started back, I had no idea where I was. I was only blocks from where I had started my walk, but I was lost. Fear and adrenaline pulsed through my veins, and I began to sweat profusely. My surroundings looked completely unfamiliar. It was as though I had been dropped into the middle of a foreign land. She says, I hadn't written down the address of the home where I was staying. Walking in any direction would just be a guess. Am I getting closer or farther away? Would I have to knock on the door of someone's house to use their phone to call the police? How could I expect them to return me to a place if I had no address to provide them? Fortunately, Mary was able to find someone who was able to guide her back to the correct house. With DTD, there's no brain injury. It wasn't a result of a car accident or a brain tumor or a stroke. It's just something she has. And people with these conditions basically get lost every day in the most familiar surroundings. Mary continues, Those of us struggling with this disorder disorder are often left with feelings of anxiety, depression, isolation, and self-doubt. Those of us struggling with this disorder are often left with feelings of anxiety, depression, isolation, and self-doubt. Now, I hear those words, and I come to recognize that those words describe a lot of what we deal with in society. Anxiety, depression, isolation, and self-doubt. And maybe the reason is because we have a society that has been infected with DTD. DTD when it comes to Issues of morality, issues of right and wrong, issues of purpose and direction. See, we know where we are because we're able to 
make reference to fixed points. If you're unable to have an internal map in your mind that's based on fixed points, then you're going to get lost. I mean, the compass works because it always points to true north, right? And if you have a, have a point, fixed point of reference, then you can figure out from that place, because that place doesn't move, that place is always the same, that place is, is always fixed, and it's outside of you, you can make reference to where you are. Even our GPS, even though we, we carry our GPS with, our cell by, with us as we go, our GPS works because it triangulates with fixed points, the towers. And that allows you to, to figure out where you are. That's how we, we, we travel, right? We don't, we don't travel many times by saying, well, we turn this and this and this and this road. No, we travel by fixed points. Hey, I take a right at the house that, that has the funny fence, and then I take a left at the garage, and... That's how we work. You know where you are because you have the ability to make reference to a fixed point. Now, the false teaching that was being addressed by what we call 1 John was written by the Apostle John to a church that was dealing with this teaching that basically, in effect, took away what we would say is a fixed point of right and wrong. They were teaching basically something that we're not unfamiliar with. We're actually very familiar with. They were teaching something that basically said, you're the determiner of what's right and wrong. You are your own North Star. This, this, this idea, this philosophy has found its way into our culture. You know, it's relativism or pluralism, but we know it really by the slogans and the mottos and the attitudes of, of the people around us. Slogans with this worldview include, what's right for you does not have to be right for me. Doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. All paths of faith lead to God. Love is love. I don't care what you do in your own home, just as long as it doesn't affect me. Don't try to impose your morals on me. God wants me to be happy. This makes me happy. I don't care what the Bible says. This th thinking is like having your GPS have its fixed point in you. You become your own fixed point. And in effect, when you become your own fixed point, you have no fixed point. Because fixed point, by definition, has to be something immovable and outside of you. It's like having DTD, morally, philosophically, regarding your faith. It's like playing soccer, since we're in World Cup season. It's like playing soccer without any lines and goals and rules. If you start with this point of view for your life, and many times, those of us, we say, well, we, have, we, we really are selective in this, right? We, we have certain parts of our life that we buy into this idea, whether it be our finances or our sex life or our relationships or our work ethic or even, even what we believe. If you start with this point of view, the end result, first of all, will be that you're not going to be in harmony with God, His Word, and to use the image that we're working with through this conversation regarding the message from 1 John, you're not going to be walking in the light. But also, the end result will be what that lady described her feelings regarding DDT, isolation, depression, anxiety, 
lost. Before we get into the scripture on 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up at verse 4. Before we get into the scripture where John addresses really the heart of the matter and really undermines this philosophy in a very powerful way. Before we get into the details of the biblical teaching regarding this philosophy of life, I want us to really take note before, in preparation, take note of two things, two concepts that are key in the scripture that we're about to read. The first concept is the concept of practice. I'm talking about practice. How many of you remember that? No, practices. Practice refers to the intended, intentional, and repeated actions that produce a result. We're talking habits, but it's habits that come from a point of view in life, it, habits that, that are guided by a belief, habits that are guided by a value, habits that are guided by an intention. We are the sum of our, our, our practices. Who we are and how we operate in life is determined by the practices we give ourselves. If we want to be successful at work, we give ourselves to the practices of training in being productive and successful in the job that we commit ourselves to. The salesman has to learn and practice making calls, engaging clients, doing her spiel, closing the contract. The better she is in practice, the better she'll become at doing her job and, and, and the better she'll be successful because good practices lead to good outcomes. Bad practices lead to trouble. We have practices in our relationship. Shannon and I will be celebrating 26 years of marriage on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, give, give kudos to Shannon. She survived 26 years so far with me. And, uh, and, and my children who are similar to me. So uh, she's been a saint. But 26 years of marriage. How do we get to 26 years? It's through practice. Through the commitment of habits that foster good relationships. Through the workings of the day-to-day. -day, where we learn what it means to be husband and wife. And the interactions that go in with the, the ever-changing dynamics of our life as we move forward. Practices. Faith is about practice. We learn to love God and we learn to love others by practice. We give ourselves to habits. We say, learn and live Scripture so that you might develop the, the mind of Jesus Christ. Learn to fellowship with others. Give yourself to the community of faith, gathering together to do what? To, to sing together, to take communion together, to give together, to study the Word together. Why? Because these are practices that form Christ in us. We are the sum of our practices. We practice what we value. We practice what we love, and we love what we practice. Which brings me to the second concept, which is very important. This is one of John's favorite words. It's the word abide. Can you say the word abide? Abide. Yeah, yeah. Can you say it in an accent? But abide. There we go. Abide has to do with what you trust and what you commit yourself to and what you feel at home with. The word abide is, is, a, is a residential word. It's a, uh, what you live with, what you commit to. Jesus used the image of the grapevine to capture abide. In the Gospel of John, we're told that on the night he was betrayed, he's walking through the, the Jerusalem. It's in the evening, and he's walking past these vineyards. 
and he looks at the plants and he makes reference to them, using them as an example. He said, the vine, you've got the vine, which is the main trunk, and you've got the branches by which the grapes are produced. And he said, the connection between the branch and the vine, the main trunk, that's abide. The branch is able to produce fruit, he says, when it abides, when it stays connected, when it receives nourishment and, it, and is committed to holding on to the vine. John chapter 15, this is what he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And he's talking to the apostles here. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do you abide in? Now, I had to think about that for a little while. What is it that I give myself to in life where I trust, where I stick with, where I look for life and direction? Well, I abide in my marriage. 26 years, I've given myself to fulfilling the commitment that I made to Shannon. I give myself to the promises on a day-to-day -day basis that I made with Shannon. I trust in that relationship. I stick with it. I abide in my work. I fulfill the commitment to come in and, and fulfill the task that's been given to me in the ministry that I've been given. I, I give myself my skills, my, my attention, my focus, my training to be productive in the job that I am called to do. I abide in my work. Taking this on an even deeper level, I abide in my faith. I've given myself to trust in Jesus. As a, as a, as a boy at 12 years old who was baptized in a, in a pool in, in Zimbabwe, Africa, who came up, at that point I began to make the decision to begin to learn to give myself to Jesus, to learn to grow in trusting Him and, and holding on to Him and, and, and seeking Him as being the source of my meaning and purpose. I've committed to look to God for life and direction, but I have to confess to you, and I suspect this is true for you, at that level, there's competition for that attention. I have other factors in my life that, that seek to, to get my attention that I might abide in them. Inside of me is this, this idea that, that when things get a little tough, I might want to seek to instead abide in my own competency and wisdom and strength. See, I believe that sometimes I have a better handle on my happiness than, than anyone else, including Jesus, and so that's a place I go to abide. And from it, it's, it's a place where I gain, I, I live by my own wits, my own distrust of people in certain situations because it's something I abide in that's not in Jesus. See, abide is all about trust. And I sometimes struggle to trust. I don't know about you. Brendan Manning tells the story of, a brilliant, of the brilliant ethicist John Kavanaugh. John Kavanaugh went to India for three months, committed to serve at the House of the Dying in Calcutta. There he was seeking a clarity regarding the answer as to how he would best spend the rest of his life, 
House of the Dying in Calcutta is the place where Mother Teresa served. When Mother Teresa first met John, she asked him, so what can I do for you, John? Kavanaugh responded that he would love for her to pray for him. She asked, what do you want me to pray for? He voiced the request that he had borne thousands of miles from the U.S. to present to her. He said, I pray that I have clarity. She replied firmly, no, I will not do that. I will not pray for you for clarity. He asked her why. He said, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to. It's an abiding place, right? Clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Abide is about who you trust and who you look to for life. And so recognize these are two words that are very important to take note as we go through the Scripture. There's the word practice and the word abide. And understand that from the places that we abide come our practices. From the places that we commit to and trust and feel at home with, come the motivations for the practices that we have in life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Please give your attention. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I like how the New American Standard Bible best captures the original Greek here because it captures the, exactly what John is saying best, I think, He's making the point that, that those who practice sin, that is an intentional and repeated action, that is, that we're not talking a one-off mistake, a mess-up, a blunder, unintentional error, the things that happen in our life as we're striving to follow God. No, he's talking about the decision to, to do what is outside of God's Word as a matter of life practice. He's talking about, about making the commitment to live in a way that is clearly outside of what God has said for us. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, this is Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Remember I said what you abide in determines your practices. Why are you saying if you're, if you're committed to abide in Jesus, you will not be committed to practices that are outside of the will and word of Christ. You will not practice sin. The way we move away from the practices that are sinful is by committing to abide in Jesus. That is committing to trust in Him, to rely on Him, to live by faith in Him, to seek to honor Him by looking to do what is pleasing to Him. And the what is pleasing to Him is to follow the command. What is the command? We talked about it last week. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your brother and sister. Live like Jesus. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. 
The proponents of this false teaching were really interested in identifying who were the children of God and who were the children of the devil were. They used that language. And Paul is very, uh, John excuse me, is very clear, clever in, in making use of their terminology to make a point. And that point is, hey, if you really want to know who the children of the devil are and who the children of God are, you can identify them by what they abide in and how they practice life. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Seed here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The means by which we abide in God is through trust and reliance on God's Spirit. We do not have Jesus with us in the physical, but we have Jesus with us in the Spirit. His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is available to all who commit their life to Christ in faith. And you can now abide in Jesus by committing to live by the Spirit. But this, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. What we abide in leads to our practices. And John says, if you abide in anything else but Jesus, then you can expect the practices of your life to reflect that. And in effect, you won't be practicing righteousness but sin. So the question is, what do you abide in? Brent Curtis, in his book, The Sacred Romance, shares personal reflection on his pursuit of that answer to that question, he said, if I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? Began to notice that when he was tired or anxious, there were certain things that he would say to himself in his head that led him to a familiar place. How many, how many can relate to that, that self-talk thing that we do, when, when, particularly when we're feeling down and anxious and depressed or whatever? The journey began typically when he started feeling lonely or angst, having anxiety or fear, and he felt like there was something wrong, something amiss inside of him, and he needed connection, and he was looking for answers, and, and so he would start to say things like, life really stinks right now, why is it so hard, it's never going to change, and if no one responded to that, seeing that he was struggling and asked him what was wrong and, and ministered to him then, he found himself going even deeper into his cynicism and he would say things to himself, well, who cares anyway? Life's a joke. And he said by the time he got to this place, somehow, some way, the anxiety began to lift and he found that his comforter, his abiding place was, was actually that, that cynicism, that attitude, that rebellion. And from that place, the practices began to come forth. He, he sought okay then to, to watch movies that he wanted to watch, a particularly violent movie, and, particularly, you know, and had a little bit of porn on the side. He, he, he went into drinking more than he normally would at, at the meals. Because why? Because that's what the practice from his abiding place allowed him to make him feel better. Brent had always thought of these little things as these things as bad habits, but in light of this question, if I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? He began to see they were much more. These things were spiritual abiding places. They were his comforters and his friends in a very meaningful way. 
Brent writes, the final light went on, shares one, one evening when he was reading John 15, 7 in the message. Eugene Peterson here translates the words of Jesus on abiding this way. He says, if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Jesus was saying in answer to the question, I've made my home in you, Brent, but you still have other comforters you go to. You must learn to make your home in me. We want to walk in the light. We must recognize that abiding leads to practices. And the practices define who we are and where we go in life. Where do you abide? Who are your comforters? Who have you made home with in your heart that provides you the safe place that you give your attention to? On that deep heart level, are you learning to make Jesus the one you abide in? Will you give yourself to make your heart his home? Totally, totally. Because if you're like me, you, you can have to confess that, yes, I give my life to Jesus, but sometimes it's 50%, sometimes it's 80%. There's those parts that I don't really want him to come in because they're my abiding places. But if we want to walk in the light, if we want to abide in him, it's got to be all about Jesus. I'm going to ask that you stand. I'm going to ask the musicians to come on out. We're going to sing a song, and I hope this song will become your prayer, a song of proclamation, a song in which you connect with the words in a way that brings it from head to heart to hands in living, a song about Jesus. As we sing, I invite those guys that are part of our prayer ministry to come forward and they'll be available to pray with you if you'd like to pray with them in person, share with them commitment you're making to, to be a Jesus follower, be baptized. You can share that too. But at this time, as we sing these words, my ask is that you would consider making these words your prayer, your proclamation. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.